am drinking without eating dinner, so this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> Wait, I thought Soylent counts as dinner. Ah. Uh. <laughs> liquid does not beget liquid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does later. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Res. I'm your host, Daniel, and with me today is my other host, Riley. Hi, Riley. Hey. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the Netflix original series. Oh, my God. <laughs> magic for humans. I was about to say humans for magic. Humans Sorry. for magic. <laughs> Because that sounds like a political party. No, the show is called <laughs> Magic for Humans. I just get things in the wrong order. Oh, my but, gosh. Uh, On that note, last night, for the first time ever, I watched uh, Life of Brian. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. No, not the f- Judean people's front. <laughs> or the people's <laughs> front of Judea. <laughs> Was that was that during the 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 cell meeting where they were like talking about how they were gonna they were gonna oppose the Romans for all the bad stuff they do? And yeah, then they were like, was well, the, but uh... except for the roads, and the schools, <laughs> and the and the the police, and the medicine, and, like... and the wine, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, besides all that, what have they ever done for us? <laughs> that was. Um... I think that the statute of limitations is is gone on this, but I think I've told you about how um, my mom took her younger brother to go see that when he was like nine or ten or something. Oh wow! Back when it first came out, and it is not for nine or ten year olds of this day and age. No, not one bit. That was always one of her favorite memories, though. It was, anyway, it's a fun time. We digress from humans for magic. Yes. What is Magic for Humans? Do you want to give us a little overview? Sure. So, Magic for Humans is a six-episode, about 20 to 25 minutes per episode, uh, comedy series, comedy magic series on uh, Netflix. The premise is there's this guy, Justin Willman, who has been in a few other things. You might know him as the host of Cupcake Wars. Uh, or you might not. If you I haven't do, actually seen Cupcake Wars, but it looks really cool. I mean, is it also Netflix? I don't think so. I think it might be Food Network. But this is totally uh, okay. a guy that can both do magic and host Cupcake Wars, and it's not too weird. <laughs> um, yeah. And in it, it's the the whole premise is basically that he's just doing street magic for everyday people, um, and, and we'll talk about whether or not that premise holds up. But uh, mm-hmm. it's it's very like one on one him talking with strangers and and doing some pretty impressive things in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's too much else to say about it to explain what it is. Everybody listening, I hope knows what magic is and that it's not sorcery in this case. So let's start at the beginning. Yeah. How do they make the cards? Uh huh. No, I'm kidding. Um. The, I'm kidding. <laughs> we should watch how it's made for playing cards first. No, yeah, we we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that at all. 
But would you say that magic for humans is in the like classic pen and teller type presentation of magic where they're not trying to, like you were saying, dupe you into thinking that it's actually magical, but rather that it's a good show, right? Like yeah, they're... that's a good characterization. I would say that Justin Willman is more on the Penn and Teller end of magic than on like the David Blaine end of magic. Yeah, um, some of the um, stuff that David Blaine does, like he's definitely not not taking it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some stuff that he does is not even magic; it's just gross, um, oh, like yeah, the putting the was... needle through the hand or like swallowing live frogs and spitting them up later like it yeah he just does weird things that are he he, and he presents himself pretty seriously this this is a little bit more on the light-hearted fun end of that spectrum yeah without um i think that the the craziest episode was episode three we'll talk about why that is but is that the one with the um, flowers where he's selling flowers yeah okay yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as weird as it gets. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the premise of the show, is he's just going around doing magic. And it's kind of uh, cut up in a few different ways, where he's got these small segments. I think it's like two segments per episode that kind of interlude on these larger... Uh, magical themes so every every show is kind of organized around a theme in magic um and then he'll kind of punctuate that theme with uh these like little segments where he does one he does one called like magic for susans Um, yes and there's another one that is more common called trick questions and those are like shorter faster tricks uh, just to kind of break the action, I guess, in kind of a uh, place of a commercial mm-hmm. break. Those are where the street magic really shows up, like hardcore. Mm-hmm. That's like the if you ever see dudes on YouTube who are just like stop people and they like ask them questions. It's mm-hmm. that kind of format where you just have poor saps on camera, not expecting to be on camera. Yeah. Um, and in this case, he does a trick, and then there's usually follow up after that. Of yeah. various kinds. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember all of the themes, but they, each episode has like a specific... Um, not like... Not like hardcore theme that it follows, but just like everything is tied together a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a, a, a dangerous technology episode. There's an episode about love. Yeah. Um that kind of thing. Yeah. I liked the intro for the Dangerous Technology episode. Uh, it, like the Black Mirror title screen that they did. Oh, that was Black Mirror? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was a neat little homage. I only got to see season one, and that was a while ago. I, I tend to only remember, like, the most outlandish parts of Black Mirror episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, I actually liked the outros of uh, Magic for Humans a little bit more than the intros. Some of the intros were nice and like, and like, got me into the episode really quick. But 
he has like a, a, a deadpan kind of comedy style and that's where it gets to shine at the very end where he I think at the end of the love episode he goes he goes along with like the uh, uh, well even if you don't actually find love you can you might get to look forward to dying alone or something like that I can't remember exactly how he phrased it but um, mm-hmm. I, I like that kind of humor it suits me you thought he was funny I did think he was funny he was on, um, oh, I was just reading his wiki bio. Let me pull this back up. I think it's... Oh, not only was he the host of Cupcake Wars, he was also the host of King of Cones. <laughs> what, so, what is that? It was another Food Network show that doesn't even have a top-level Wikipedia link, so you know it's good. Um, King of Cones. Yeah. So like I- Before he did this, he uh, he was on a series called Magic Meltdown on YouTube, which is a web series that Nerdist did. Oh. So, I, I feel like he kind of fits in with your, your brand of internet personalities you enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, a little bit surprised by the fact that he was from, like, he had some time on the internet. I saw the Nerdist thing, too. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't look at, I didn't watch any of those today or anything, but I might actually check it out later. Yeah. How did you feel about it? Did you know what you were getting into before you saw it? No, I didn't. Uh, and I had watched an episode or two before I suggested it for the show, for mm-hmm. this show. Um, I kind of wanted to mix it up, do something a little different, something that wasn't very... This is not very plot-driven. No, no. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Like, I don't really know what we're going to talk about in terms of spoilers or not spoilers. Maybe we'll save the actual specific tricks he did for after the break, but... I think so. Uh, I think they're they a big okay. part of the meat of it, so that's good. Yeah, and maybe we'll have like an even super-secret spoiler area where we talk about how we did some of them <laughs> for those who don't want magic to be ruined yeah we could do that yeah so i'd seen like an episode or two of it before choosing it for the podcast and just really i liked how lighthearted it was mm-hmm. um i've been a big fan of magic for a long time like probably six ish seven ish years now mm-hmm. um I'm just like following various magicians and watching just about anything I can that has to do with with magic on YouTube or on Netflix or on on whatever I can get my hands on. Uh, And so I really liked from the get go the way that he was presenting magic. I liked the the magic that he was doing Um, and I liked his his persona that he adopted for magic because mm-hmm. I, I, I in all of these things that I've watched I found that I tend to like people that either approach magic in a way that is like fun lighthearted, kind of silly but uh, but friendly mm-hmm. or people that approach it like like an art form and those are kind of my two favorite styles. So the fact that he was fun and silly and engaging was was good, I thought. Who's an example uh, of a magician who treats it like an art form that you've seen? 
that I might know. Um, let me get this get this guy up for you. Yeah. Um, while you're doing that, I I definitely characterize uh, his presentation style as really modern. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's an on uh, on trend brand of humor that fits like our day and age. He's not a Chris Angel mind freak. He's not early two thousands magic. Um, which I which I found really refreshing after not watching much magic for a long time i was like oh yeah he's not he's not like singing his own metal intro that's nice (laughs) and uh i did i did feel a little bit of like the youtube internet experience kind of part of his brand as well so both of those two things made it feel like um a new way to present magic from what i had seen before so i i I appreciated Mm. that quite a lot so this guy is one of the guys that's like, his, his name's Ricky J, and he's kind of a prominent figure in the history of magic. Uh, but this this routine that I just sent you is him doing a cups and balls routine. And the cups and balls is, for, for people that might not know it by name, the routine where you've got three cups, you've got three balls on the table, and the magician puts the cups over the balls and does various things with the hand or with the magic wand to make the balls bounce around between the cups. So it's one of the oldest mm-hmm. uh, magic routines in existence, mm-hmm. um, dating back you know hundreds, if not thousands, of years, because it's very easy to perform with you know sleight of hand and things like that. But the this routine that Ricky J does, he it's a really fun routine because he like incorporates all of that history of magic and explains to you like how how the cups and balls was done historically and then shows you some innovations along the way and of course like any great magician he's he's leading you down this garden path of expectation about what he's actually been doing the whole time and then flips it all on its head at the very end Mm. so him and his style i really like and that's those are kind of the people i think i would put more in like the art a magic category are, are people that do it um, either with an emphasis on like a story that they're telling as they're performing magic or with an emphasis on um, like the the performance itself and on uh, a lot of those people will be um, silent throughout their routine so there's some really beautiful magic performances where the it, it's silent and it's done to music um, one that people probably will know is a guy named Shin Shin Lim. Um, he was on Penn and Teller Fool Us oh. twice, and was like, you know, probably the most famous person that's been on there. But he's a silent magician, and it just does some beautiful stuff. Um, yeah, so those are the kinds of magic that I like. Um, I was going to ask that that what you're describing right now actually kind of sounds a little bit like mime like you know the art of Mm. miming um which is kind of interesting i i hadn't seen very many silent magicians i'm used to the branson style like i'm gonna make this monster truck up here 
kind of magician. <laughs> so uh, I might take a look at some of that. That's a that's a different kind of brand than I had seen. Yeah. Yeah. So he's super cool. Uh, yeah. And there's there's many more that I could. <laughs> excuse me. That I could show you, but. Um, and if anybody wants to see the Ricky J's Cups and Balls, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes, along with the entire 52 assistants uh, routine that it comes from. It's just, it's a 50-minute routine, and it is amazing the whole way through. It's a blast. And this guy's from, like, the 70s, the 80s, whenever he was doing this. Uh, but the magic still stands up. So, it's super cool. Did you say 52 assistants? Yeah, it's called the 52 Assistants because it's his deck of cards. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that there was a line yeah. of people that he just no. <laughs> like, bring in the next assistant. But the previous 20 <laughs> disappeared into that box. I'm not getting in there. Yeah, It'll work well, this that's time. Fine. We don't need you to get in there. We've got a saw this time. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of to contrast with um, stage magic is a different branch of magic. So like the David Copperfield, like going to put my beautiful assistant on the table and saw her in half mm-hmm. style of magic. The magic that's more dependent on props and on perspective tricks. That's not so much my favorite kind of magic. Um, and, and because I think the reason why I like the fun, silly magic and the magic that is more artful and storyful is that usually those tricks Mm -hmm. become more impressive whenever you figure out how they're done Mm -hmm. Um, versus stage magic, which I don't know, for me always feels more gimmicky once I figured out or learned how it's done. Yeah. It, uh, does it have something to do with the fact that you couldn't be, see like you you couldn't be from almost any perspective and and still see the the trick happen like you want to be able to like experience it from any angle um it's less about that and more about a lot of stage magic relies on props and devices mm. and things that actually are not like, the magician could be swapped out, basically. Ah, uh, okay. You could teach somebody else in, like, a week how to do that show. And if they were a good showman, they could pull it off probably pretty easily. Whereas, like, in a lot of these card tricks, let's say, with close-up magic, um, that's not something that you can just, like, pick up in a week. These yeah. are things that take, like, years of practice for card manipulation and forcing things uh and doing it all in a way that looks passable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the biggest reason. Now, while we're, while we're talking about um, magic for humans, and you're talking about, what'd you say, in-person magic or, or person-to-person magic? Close-up magic. Close-up magic. How, how do you feel like the close-up magic that was in magic for humans translated to being presented from this, like through like on the screen. Um, does it still work well? Do you think? Uh, yeah. So I think like the, uh, the short segments 
where he did like the the magic for Susan's and the mm-hmm. trick questions. Those were pretty good close up magic tricks that they're very common. So if if you have looked into magic, those are probably some of the first tricks you'll learn how they're done. And he does them pretty well. Um, the other close up magic tricks that he does, we could talk about this, but some of them might rely a little bit on things that we're not seeing on screen. I was suspicious of that. So it's good to hear you say that as well. And that's not to say that he's not actually performing the trick. Um, I do think that every single trick in the in the episodes, he is actually performing. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a bit of a mentalism thing going on off screen where he's uh, basically implying that people should say certain things or, or move certain places or act in certain ways. Um, and that might not be as clean. And so I think in the edit, maybe they've, they've kind of taken out the things that make it drag on. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were to see some of these tricks in person, you might say like, okay, that was a cool trick. But the first five minutes of him trying to get the guy to say my wife was boring. Yeah. Um, Real quick, this will actually help me out, but it will definitely help the listeners out. Um, What do you mean by mentalism? Like, what is mentalism? Yeah, mentalism mentalism is more of like a a social or an interpersonal magic. Uh, it's, It's whenever a magician gets you to say or do something without you necessarily realizing that they wanted you to say or do something. Mm. Um, so like a concrete example of this would be, and this is something that a lot of like psychics use these sorts of techniques, the quote unquote psychics um, or mind readers is they'll, they'll fish for pieces of information from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll say like, you know, I want you to think of the name of somebody who's, who's important to you. And you'll think of a name and they will just start saying things like, is, you know, I have a feeling like that name starts with an R. And then based on how you react to that, they'll be like, maybe, well, no, R's, never mind, R's not feeling as strong. Maybe it was like an S. And then if you'd be like, yeah, it was somebody who their name started with an S. Then they'll like, they'll start basically getting pieces of information from you. Mm-hmm. Um without like they're they're leading you down this path and trying to make you believe that they know something that they don't Mm -hmm. um and normally because when people are engaged in either a magic trick or going to get their fortune read you're you're bringing a confirmation bias in with you that discards you're more willing to discard things that the magician says that are false and accept the things that they say that are on track with what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of the trick, even though they've probably made 20 different errors in their assumptions, the three things that they said that were right are the ones that stick with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So it's a lot more of a uh, social engineering type of a trick than a like a mechanical hand-based trick. 
a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a dexterity thing. It's a it's a mental game. Interesting. Hence the name mentalism. Um, wow. So sometimes that'll be, you know, like asking probing questions. Other times that can be techniques like priming people. Mm-hmm. So if if for example, I'm doing a magic trick and I need you to say blender as part of the magic trick. Whenever I ask you for something. Blend tech. Yeah. Then I might like start talking to you and have a conversation about things that relate to blenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to you about smoothies and how I love smoothies. And my, I might even in conversation tell you that I bought a new blender last week and I love it and I take it with me everywhere and blah, blah, blah. And then we'll go into some benign conversation for 10 or 15 seconds and I'll hit you with the trick and start asking you questions in a way that reminds you blender Mm -hmm. like we just talked about. Um, So you might not even connect the dots that you were being primed to say something that was going to fall into the category of the trick. Mm. That's another common mentalism technique. That's some like classic psychology right there. Mm-hmm. Rachel's gonna, Rachel's gonna see right through that. She's gonna see right through you. <clears throat> That's right. Magic doesn't work on Rachel. No, psychology majors doesn't work on them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So that actually helps me out a little bit because I had always heard people talking about mentalism, but it doesn't always make it to a, like a concrete example of of a trick that 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 uses those techniques. So I think that we can talk about some of those in the spoiler section a little bit. So that way we don't prime people too much. Mm, Yeah. We wouldn't want to blend the (laughs) thoughts together in their mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of the street magic stuff um, you thought was, was good execution, even though they, they might've been some of the, um, the earliest types of tricks for people to investigate who become interested in magic. How did you feel about some of the larger, like, uh, what would you call those? Like the, the main tricks of each episode, like centerpieces. I don't know. How did you feel about some of the bigger ones that were, that were not street magic, but were like still part of the program? I, I thought those were some of the best ones. Uh, yeah. Like, that's what I really liked about the show. Um, I think what you mean by centerpieces, to clarify a little bit, were these were tricks that required a lot of preparation. Yeah. Um, either environmentally or, or mechanically to get everything in the right order to produce an effect that was really astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, so the person that is is viewing the magic, the subject here, uh, they think that they're in a situation that is completely normal, but in reality there have been things about the environment that are manipulated in a way that they never got to see. Yeah. So they're they're kind of set up in this environment that the trick can only succeed in. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like street magic where you can walk up to somebody with a deck of cards and do this. It's like you need 17 volunteers and this room set up in a specific way. Um, but if you do all of that, then the effects that you can produce are are astounding. Mm-hmm. So I liked those 
not only because I thought that some of the effects were super cool, but because also that was when the best interactions I thought came out in the show between yeah. him and the subjects. Yeah, I I agree. I found the 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 larger parts of each episode to be the meat that I cared about, um, and the street magic to me at least felt more transitionary, more patty. Even though some of them were cool, they were short enough and in some cases uh, similar enough where I was I was usually like waiting for the next big one rather than like savoring all the small ones in between, you know? Mm-hmm. I, uh, we can talk a little bit about some of the specifics, but I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but especially a lot of the street magic had a similar premise to each of them. Like, uh, I'm going to, in one way or another, have already guessed something about you, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that he used that maybe towards the end a couple too many times. I wish that there was a little bit more of a uh, um, variety to the street magic, and I think it would have appealed to me a little bit more. Mm. And that is to say, not that like the, the themes of each of those tricks weren't the same, but more just like the general mechanic of the trick. Right. Yeah, it's it's I'm going to have knowledge that you didn't know that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And then show you at the end that in fact I knew all along and, <laughs> and isn't that magical? Yeah. Which you know, if somebody did that to me, I I'd freak out. Yeah. And that was the thing is that pretty much everybody would freak out. But as the viewer, it's like we're in every trick, so we're seeing like, mm-hmm. like group after group after group of people, and we're like, "Yay, they did it!" By the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. whereas any individual one seeing on the street, definitely, I would have been like, "Oh, whoa, dude! I got Justin Willman yeah. to do this trick, man!" <laughs> and they're like, "Who's Justin Willman?" And I go, yeah, "Like he's the cake guy." Uh, like what? <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I'm wondering what you thought of the segments that he did with. I don't know, like the right way to phrase this. Try. But like the weirdos. The weirdos. The weirdos. In every episode, there was a group of people that were just very bizarre groups of people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that he would do a segment with what did you think of those so i don't think that this this spoils too much but i think in one of the episodes he was on the beach with some people and and then mm-hmm. uh i think it was a uh um trick question segment where he did a trick and then he asked him a question and everybody was like oh yeah we do that all the time and then oh yeah yeah. yeah, not even just them, but, like, I'm talking about, like, the goat yoga oh. and the face yoga and, uh, like, the robotics the, people, the retirement community, the, the flower people, like, the, what do you think he was doing by 
going out and finding those groups of people to put in the show. I think what was the point of that? I think he was playing to his strengths as a new age internet dude. <laughs> people on the, okay, what do you mean? People on the internet like weird stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what he was going for. But half the time, I was cool with it. Like I was cool with goat yoga. I was cool with um, face yoga. I wasn't so cool with um, the flower. Uh, mm-hmm truck scene i don't think mm-hmm. um i think i was less comfortable with the old people even though it was kind of funny <laughs> 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 and yeah. i don't know if you would lump this in there but i actually adored the the mom's segment i thought that was very cute oh yeah i love the mom segment that was precious so definitely like very different parts of the spectrum for the for the let's throw the weird people into the episode segments um mm-hmm. and i think that it really helped that those were oftentimes uh some of the big magic anyway so got to mm-hmm. see the the real cool stuff so it helped at least like make me look past the weird people and look at the magic a little bit were you were you more off put by them or were you cool with them how do you feel about them no, I just couldn't tell why he chose those groups of people mm. other than that they were bizarre groups mm-hmm. for the most part. Like they were they were groups of people that you wouldn't normally think about getting together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like for me, I couldn't tell if he was doing that just to be like zany and weird or if there was some sort of subtext that he was saying about like, Look at how ridiculous these people are. Mm. I think that an optimist... Yeah, and... uh, (laughs) And, uh... Optimistic assessment is that it's magic for humans. And so... Mm -hmm. You don't always put, like, the pretty well-adjusted people in your episodes. A lot of times you're going to have, like the weird old people in your episodes. And so that's just like a cleaner or not cleaner. I guess I should say a more accurate representation of magic for humans, underline humans. Um, Mm -hmm. That's maybe a charitable explanation. I, I'd like to think he wasn't exploitative overtly. Yeah. I think you're mostly right about that because he was never like rude to these people. Mm-hmm. He was never pointing out that what they were doing was ridiculous, like the goat yoga mm-hmm. or the face yoga, which absolutely are. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. So I think it's ridiculous. Maybe if you've done goat yoga, it's transformative. I don't know. Uh, That's interesting. Did uh, did you peg them as as some of the weirder ones, the the the, the two yogas? No, oh, okay. I'm just using them as Examples. an example okay. because they're easy to talk about. Uh, yeah, probably some of the weirder groups of people, like the beachgoers. Those <laughs> are pretty was... interesting folks. Yeah. Uh, the I thought that the robot club. 
it was kind of funny and weird. Yeah. Um, they were they were the, aware. The children, like the, they were aware. Yeah. The children and the high schoolers were also a little strange, a little funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I think that he wasn't trying to be like a bad sport about any of it. It was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How bizarre. How bizarre. <laughs> did you enjoy the the show? I did. I did. I uh I wrote down on here that thought it was a good show. Um based on the length and some of the repetitiveness, I don't think I can say that it's a must see, but I think I'm really glad that I saw it and I look forward to uh, if he does a second edition of it to to mm. show us some more of what he's got. Do I have to put a number to well, that? Uh, hold off on the Daniel score, man. We're not not even close to the end of the episode yet. Okay. I'll hold off on the on the Arbon score. Yeah. The Ewald rating. Ooh, ooh, he's gonna hate that. Ooh, we could we could make that a thing. The Ewald rating. Okay. How much magic did you watch growing up? I Magic was one of the childhood hobbies that I had that never materialized into anything useful. Um man, I don't know if you do you remember the <laughs> The Scholastic um, subscription services that they had. What do you mean? Like uh, in the Scholastic, I don't know if it was a catalog or or what what that thing was, but you could get like books or whatever. But then towards the back, they would have like monthly mm-hmm. subscription um, uh, things that you could do for various uh, for various oh. interests. There was one other one that I did okay. that was like marine biology boxes where you would have little cutouts of of sharks that you would put together or you would get like a sea monkey tank one month or what have you and you'd learn about marine biology. There's another one that I thought mm. was actually really, really well put together that was like magic and, and teaching magic for kids. Great feming. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. All the pieces were in each little set. Um, so I did that, but I never got like any kind of good with it. Like I, I couldn't do any of those tricks today. Um, and that was mostly what I did, aside from like see some magicians in Branson every now and again and uh, see David Blaine. No, not David Blaine. Um, the other one I said earlier. Mind Freak! Chris Angel. Mind Freak! He was yeah. usually just floating. That was usually uh-huh. his thing. He would just float. Um, <laughs> um, and a lot of that was was not uh, some of the more technical, cool stuff. I didn't really get to see that until uh, um, Fool Me and a couple other like individual mm. contributors, usually that I would see on YouTube and things like that. Um, so I'm not I'm not as familiar with the. With the auteurs of the magic world, if you will. Um, mm. This guy fell somewhere in between for sure for me, though. 
he was very presentational. Okay. So he was he was like yep. the Chris Angel type, but like I was saying, I felt that he was a lot more modern and um he felt like made for the internet age. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he's a solid magician. Mm-hmm. Um I can't say that there was anything that he did that seemed completely original. Mm-hmm. It seems that most of the tricks in one form or another uh he like were pretty well known, but his presentational skills were very very good. Yeah. I was I think that um I can ask you about some of the specifics in the spoiler section, but there were a couple that I felt like there's no way anybody's done this kind of thing before or like presented mm. it this way before. Um, and so that was really nice. It's good that his special was, was well thought out. Like, how can I make people see something new? I wonder if that's what half of the battle, um, is nowadays after how long do you think modern magic has been going? 150 years, 200 years, something like that. Yeah, probably 150 years. Like, after that much time, a lot of the basics have probably been sussed out. It really is about who can push the boundaries with presentation and keep things, like, modernized, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why we've seen so much more close-up magic and so much more street magic in the last 30 years. It's mm-hmm. kind of a response to that because for a long, long time... It was all stage magic. Mm-hmm. And that it just got to a point where it was very hard to innovate with stage magic and it was very hard to amaze people mm-hmm. with stage magic because it's all the same tricks in just three different ways. And, you know, who cares how you're vanishing the girl? She always vanishes. <laughs> but now you start getting into these really, in the last 30 years, some pretty innovative things that people are doing. And I think that the rate of innovation is actually increasing with close-up magic and with with technological magic um like that's a that's a whole space of of illusion and effect that is really not very well explored yet and i think people are going to be exploring it in the next 15 years Mm -hmm. um one really common illusion that you'll see with something like a smartphone nowadays is somebody will palm an item like a a chapstick Mm -hmm. and they'll have a picture of a chapstick on their phone or like an app of -hmm. that picture of chapstick on their phone and they can like swipe off the edge and the chapstick on the phone disappears and it appears in your hand and so you've got this effect where something's going from the screen to the hand that's a pretty common uh effect but i think that that's a very primitive version of like what can be done with digital magic yeah i think the hardest part there is like bridging the suspension of disbelief um that digital things make you adopt Mm -hmm. because with magic you don't want a suspension of disbelief uh you want people to think that what they're seeing is real Mm -hmm. and so you know with a lot of these things like uh, like false shuffles um, is a great example where it looks like you're shuffling a deck of cards but you're not 
and you're, <laughs> you're keeping everything in the exact same order so that way you can produce the card later on in the trick. Um, that's something that people look at it and they're, they're believing the whole time that this is like real, that mm-hmm. they're seeing a deck of cards shuffled. And I feel like the only problem right now with digital magic is once everybody sees that there's an iPad coming into the equation, it's like all bets are off. Yeah. And just... the moment that magicians figure out how to how to integrate that stuff into their act without incurring that suspension of disbelief, without everybody being able to point at the iPad and say, that's it's not magic, it's just... You know, you can do anything you want with an iPad. That's not magic. Um, that's when we're going to see a breakthrough. I actually feel as though there's at least one example of exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about um, in... Uh, which one was it? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember which episode it was, but we'll talk about that specific uh, mm-hmm. that specific trick at some point. I think that the that at least this at least Justin did did one brand new thing with a with a piece of technology to help break those barriers going into the future of magic. So that was cool. Mm. Yeah. What did you what what are your summarizing thoughts about the show? How did you feel overall without giving a Ewald rating? That's not allowed. Gotcha. I can't put it on the Daniel scale. Can't give it an Ewald rating. Can't assign Armon points. Nope. No, no Chelsea Bucks. No. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think for anybody who has a passing interest in magic, it's a great show to watch. Mm-hmm. It's very easy. I think even for people who don't have like an interest in magic as a field, but enjoy watching magic tricks, mm-hmm. it's a great show to watch. It's, Cause it's uh, fun. really good to put on after a long day at work and yeah, just watch an episode or two of something that doesn't take your entire evening. Mm-hmm. I loved that it was only like 20, 25 minutes per episode. The first, yeah. the first time I, the first one I put in, I was like, huh, it's going to be really short. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Cool. I'll resist giving it a rating until we come back. Sure. <laughs> Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep things going with that then. Do you want to take a break then for a little bit and uh-huh. then uh, we'll talk about some of the specifics? Yeah, I got to pee really bad. That's just, that's all good. Just let it flow. This episode of Res is brought to you by the Susan's Association of America. They sponsor this section of the show to deliver a simple message to the magician Justin Willman. Pick some other name for your next season. You weirded us out. Thanks, Susans, for sponsoring the show. This episode of Res is also brought to you by FrontFire. FrontFire is the ultimate data storage solution. Have you ever been in a situation where you're on a plane, traveling halfway across the world, and you really, really need access to those files that are on your computer back at home, but just can't seem to get to them? 
because of the intercontinental distance? Well, don't worry. Frontfire has you covered. Frontfire will back up all of your data that you provide to their service everywhere. Forget the cloud. Forget backup servers online. Frontfire puts your data everywhere. So just reach into the pocket of the seat in front of you. Grab the Sky Mall. Open it up to page 37. There's your tax returns. Thanks, Frontfire, for sponsoring the show and giving all of our listeners a promotional code, Magic for Susans, at frontfire.front.fire.frontfire. Do you want to get into some of the specifics of these magical, mysterious tricks? Yes, I would love to. Um, where do I want to start? So, to because it was the most recent one that we were talking about, like the, the whole moving magic forward after the digital age, I, th- yeah. I actually think that the phone that he chucked into the water trick... I thought that that was one of those things that helps to like think of how to use the phone creatively. Okay. And tell tell the listeners what the trick was, the effect was. It was one of those those I think it was even one of like the quick segments or at least like pseudo quick, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a very long trick, but like uh Justin was on like a pier talking to these two women who who seemed to be friends, knew each other. And uh, basically, after just kind of talking them up a bit, all he does is he he says, uh, okay, can I have your phone? And then they give him the phone, and he just chucks it into the water. No, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I I messed up. up. I messed that up. Before he does that, he says that he's going to go fishing with a Mm -hmm. bottle that has a rope attached to it. So it's like a big kind of jug with a narrow entry. That's got like a rope tied around the, the, the top that's pretty long, like 20, 30 feet or so. And so he first throws that out into the water. That's not going to actually really catch any fish. It's just like a kind of one of the jokey bits. But then he, he asks to borrow one of the girl's phones and he chucks that out into the water too. Like just about the same distance but not necessarily like aiming for the jug or or making it seem like he was trying to like relate the two at all but then he asked for them to pull in the jug using the the rope that's attached to it and the phone is inside the jug and he proves that it's the same phone by having the friend call the phone that's in the jug and you can see it like ringing and stuff it was really cool because it it's not expected that he would just chuck the phone into the water and the the people who who were watching him do it were were clearly unprepared for this <laughs> cuz they just thought the yeah. phone was a gone um and it doesn't it does a good job of of taking away the possibility that there's something unusual about the phone because it's doing exactly what they do which is call things it's the basic phone Mm -hmm. uh uh action that you can do so it felt really authentic um it was a cool shock value and then you get the phone back and even at the end there's still a joke attached to it because 
he told them that they can just keep it that way or he'll break it out with a hammer but it takes some time and then it, and then they look at him and then it just cuts away to him cut it like hitting it out with the hammer like dejectedly like oh fine here you can have your phone back <laughs> so it was all just well done I felt um mm-hmm. does that does to you does that qualify as one of those tricks that pushes things forward like you were saying or or how are you feeling about that one so while the presentation was really cool and innovative this is a trick that's been done before mm-hmm. um not in the exact same way there's there are street magic versions of this trick where somebody hands somebody a phone they do some things with the phone in their hands and a bottle and then they kunk and then the phone's in the bottle and somebody calls the phone and yes this is the same phone and then smash and here's your phone back mm, okay so that one had the, so the innovation and in the presentation of this trick was that he threw the phone into the water yeah um the it's something that's I don't know if we want to go too much into how the trick is done, but Justin did not put the phone in the bottle. We can say that. Yeah. Um, it, and if you don't want to know how it's done, then like skip the next two minutes. Oh, so, okay, so that's how we can do it, is we can just like have people skip over the bits. Sure. Just press the 30-second skip button a couple times in your podcast player. Okay. Um, so the, the the trick of it is is that there was a diver in the water where he threw the phone mm. who was able to get the phone and then put it in the bottle using the same technique that people put things into bottles and street magic tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's varying ways that that happens. So there's kind of, and I don't know how this was done for sure. It's heavily alluded that he used a diver. Like he, he has alluded to it himself yeah. in a Reddit thread. Um, so there's, there's the, you could take the stance that it is her phone in the bottle. It's a trick bottle with a, a top or a bottom that opens and then can be resealed in a way that is convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other explanation is that the phone that he throws is not her phone, mm-hmm. that he's palmed it out. And and this is where maybe it would push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Is if he was able to like get a a backup or a clone of her phone's like background and contacts to the point where if somebody else called, he could trace like and reroute ah. the call to the phone that's in the bottle. That would be like okay, that's pushing it using technology to trick people into thinking this is the same phone. And then whenever he smashes it, he could use his sleight of hand to Let's get give... the real phone back to her. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh... I think that that's probably one of the safer ways to do it, considering the the percentage chances with dealing with hitting, like throwing the phone in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. 
That being said, I, I don't know what risk is associated with getting the phone to look the right way, you know? Right. Right, you'd have to pick... And this is where some of the off-screen... And, and maybe mentalism, but also just, like, knowledge about the people going on the show comes into play. Like, if you can have somebody fill out a release before they, they come on the show, you can learn a lot about them that way. Mm-hmm. You might be able to ask them in the release, what kind of phone do you have? And if they say, oh, I have a Galaxy Note S9, I don't know if that's a phone, but <laughs> they could say, I've got that phone. And then be like, okay, well, we want you because that's the prop phone that we have in the bottle that we know how to exploit. Yeah. It also would de- depend on the phone if it's water resistant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some phones would just uh, not survive that trick. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The other phone-related trick that he did that I think is much more impressive to me, mm-hmm. if it's true, is the one at the beginning of the very first episode. Oh, which one was that? Where... He's talking to some people on the street. He asks them to borrow their phone. And he does this through like a, you know, phones are making us dumber. The further your phone is away from you, the smarter you get. Mm -hmm. You know, let me ask you a math question. Oh, see how long that took you to answer? It's some impossible thing. Like what's 458 times 392? Just do it in your head now. And it's like, I can't do that. He takes the phone away from him. And ties it to this big thing of balloons he's holding and then lets it go. Oh, yeah. And the phone flies away and they're like, what the f***, man? <laughs> and he's like, what's four plus three? They're like, seven. Where's my phone? <laughs> um, and then he reveals that the phone is in a, a like Ziploc bag that's been duct taped to his back yeah. under his shirt. Yeah, I, uh, that's coming back to me. I do remember that segment now. It was a pretty good trick. I like that one, too. Yeah. Um, and, and so that one, for me at least, is, a, is an example of a much more impressive trick than the throwing the phone in the water and it coming back out in the bottle because it's so much simpler mm-hmm. that either the way he did it was with camera editing which would be really disappointing. Mm. Or if he did do it in real life, then it's fantastic because it's so simple and it looks so clean. Yeah, it also turns the phone into a prop, like a chapstick bottle. Mm -hmm. And it was all more kind of themed around that. Not bottle. Chapstick. (coughs) Excuse me. Chapstick container. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like is the route to go to start like chipping away at people's um, suspension of disbelief with with phone magic, right? Is to just like convince them that it's it's just another thing that they just always have with them. It's like if you were borrowing somebody's jacket to do a magic trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that there's some avenues that magic can go with technology that uh, don't necessarily involve phones or iPads. That is still that could be pretty astounding. Like I think there's a, a whole category of magic that can still be explored with something like 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton 
of magic that you could do with like wireless transmission of signals. Um, mm-hmm. Like you could do magic where you've got a, a screen or a tablet or something that you've mocked up that people could like write on and you could like convince them that it's by magic that that signature got reproduced onto a piece of paper somewhere else. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That doesn't really require like phones or tablets, but it's still technology assisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, if the whole metaphor of, of using playing cards as props for magic is just the template that everything uses where, playing cards are meant to play a game but for magic it's like totally different it's there as like a, a easily recognizable set of symbols to use that oftentimes has nothing to do with like an actual game at all much like how a phone is going to be an easily easy to recognize uh, set of symbols for the magicians to use to do their tricks kind of like we know what a phone call is. We know what the calculator is. We know how to draw stuff on there. They're all going to be like tools for future magicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, with phones, like with, with cards, it's a physical object. And so when a magician does something, it shocks you it's something that you didn't think was possible to do with a physical object in the Mm -hmm. same way like the whole category of magic with a phone i think is going to be things that you thought were impossible to do with a phone Mm -hmm. um and and there are some effects that like you could conceive of that i I have no idea how you would do it Mm -hmm. but that's the whole point it's magic of like something that doesn't seem like magic in the same way that card magic does. Like imagine, for example, you had an iPhone and an Android phone. And as part of your magic act, you were able to switch the operating systems. Yeah. And like everything intact from one to the other. Yeah, that would and, be dope. And like, that would be something that is like, wait a minute, that's not possible. How do you do that? Um and that's what magic really is, is like defying people's expectations. And so yeah. it's just, it's, you have to think of different ways to do that with something like a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of defying expectations, can we talk about episode three for a second? Yeah. That, and while we're on the subject of technology too, that one was all themed around um, how like technology is dangerous or technology is weird or like, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And I I have a question for you. Were you worried that this show was going to turn like into some kind of social experiment like like not really magic show anymore after episode 3? Cuz it was weird. It was a weird episode. No. I wasn't so much worried about that, I think, as I was um, ready to go back to episodes that weren't as edgy. Yeah. Like, what did you think was weird about episode three? So, in episode one and two, I was starting to get, like, a feel for his humor and everything, and I thought, aha, clever, he's like a... 
he 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 knows about the internet and so i think that i was like extending my own understanding of some memes on the internet like around like uh the me irl type stuff where like absurdist ideas are kind of becoming new again and i was thinking that like is this just gonna like cease to be a magic show and it's gonna start becoming like darker and darker until we end with like black mirror is that what is supposed to be is that why this is on netflix (laughs) um because it just had like uncomfortable trick after uncomfortable comfortable trick after uncomfortable trick um like all of the uh all the face yoga the mm-hmm. first one the first two episodes were kind of like lighthearted like this is what humans are like but then when you get to technology it's like this is what humans are becoming they're doing yoga holding an ipad like messing with their faces like going like la, 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 la. is this like the de-evolution of <laughs> humans was... or something uh-huh and i i literally put on like am i watching a parody is right. the question that i had while watching episode three and then it gets to the right. very end and it's talking about like conspiracy theories and stuff and like chips underneath people's arms uh-huh. and like he was he was writing this line between like man are there chips in our arm versus like our humans are stupid they think that there's chips under our arms and so mm-hmm. I just wasn't sure where it was going to go after that mm. yeah I don't think I was as like I don't know it didn't, it didn't strike me as being a change in direction for the show is definitely a different tone for that episode mm-hmm. and the chip thing specifically this is the the flower trick we keep talking about yeah is justin is standing outside of a van on some street in some suburb pretending to be a flower salesman so already the setup is pretty unbelievable yeah right <laughs> Like, when have you ever seen a guy selling flowers outside of a Chevy passenger van in your neighborhood? Never. Um, Anyway, this is the setup. He's out here selling flowers, and if he can get somebody to stop and talk to him, then he says to them, like, you know, let's get inside the van because they can't hear us in there. And people are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he basically like goads these people into getting into the van who gets so in a van are... so you're meant to believe and when he's in the van with them he, he says to them something along the lines of like oh yeah the government has chipped all of us when was the last time you had a surgery you know cause you're probably chipped and you've probably got a government tracker in you and I can get it out and let me help you out let me get it out for you, you know, mm-hmm. for you. And of course, he's got this little LED light that'll blink red whenever he's found a chip on their body, like scanning up their arm. It blinks red on everybody. He's got this little penis pump thing <laughs> that he uses to <laughs> suck the chip out. I'm pretty sure that's what it was that he was using. <laughs> and it's not like a device that you can, like, construct 
in any other way. I don't anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he uses this little pump to like suck, quote unquote, suck the tracker out of their arm from under their skin. Which is and awful. every single one of them it was gross. And every single one of them are like, Oh my god, I can't believe the government's tracking me. Right? Yeah. So this is this is what you're led to believe. Um but this is one of those tricks that I just don't buy. Yeah. Um, like, I think those people were actors. Mm-hmm. For one. I think... Because here, here's how it would have to work. Is before they're even allowed to be on the show, they have to sign a release. Mm-hmm. Right? And... All of those people, before they stepped in the van, knew they were on a magic show. Or they knew they were on a TV show of some kind. Mm-hmm. Right? So, at the bare minimum, they know they're on a TV show. If they're random volunteers. The TV show producers are only going to select people that are going to be paranoid. Yeah. Right? They're going to ask some sort of questions in this release form that give a pretty strong indicator that this person does not trust the government or, or, you know, will, if presented, some complete bullshit, readily accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, maybe mm-hmm. they, they got these people from, like, a flat earth mailing list. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Some, some indicator that these people are okay with conspiracy. And so at the bare minimum, you know that they know they're on a TV show, and they've been selected to be on this TV show. And that they're getting in this van under the premise that, like, again, confirmation bias is completely activated here. Mm-hmm. So even under the most charitable interpretation, he is picking people that almost have no choice but to believe him. Yeah. And and then doing, like, the showman thing and... You know, we're all having kind of either having a laugh or cringing a little bit at their expense. Yeah. And that's that's the most charitable interpretation. In the least charitable interpretation, they're all just hired actors. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, for Magic for Humans, if you go onto the IMDb page, there is a cast listing. And uh. it's not just Justin Willman. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that were in the show that are actors. Um, mm. So while that does not diminish the value of some of the effects that he does, of the actual mechanical magic that he's doing, mm-hmm. it really, in some scenarios, undermines the authenticity of the interaction. Yeah. Is that inevitable with with programs like this, where... It's going to be distributed forever and you have to sign forms and there's all the bureaucracy around it. Is that is that just going to have to happen in order to no. make... Are there examples where they don't have to do that, but it's still like a television program? So this is where stuff like the David Blaine magic comes into play, mm-hmm. where he's, he's walking up to some stranger on the street and doing some magic with them. And in those cases, if it's like a one-party consent state, which I, I doubt that the places he recorded are, but if it's a one-party consent state, 
that just means like you can be reporting in a public place like on the street and it doesn't matter what anybody in the recording thinks they, they can't sue you for using that recording oh okay? yeah that's true which not many states are like that so let's say that david blaine doesn't only exclusively record in one party consent states the thing that probably happens on those shows is because it's impromptu and it's street magic and and even in magic for humans this is probably what happens with these shorter segments like the trick questions and so walk up verbalize to the person hey i'm gonna do some magic do you want to be on the you know is it okay if i do some magic for you they say yes he does the magic Mm -hmm. and then they sign a release form afterward saying like yeah that thing that i just did you can use that footage and if they don't sign it, then they just move on? Yeah. Gotcha. So you felt as though maybe if they were using actors for some of the for some of the sets, that maybe they didn't need to do that unless they were trying to just enhance the overall presentation. Basically. Gotcha. Hmm. Ooh. I think that uh, the episodes with, or the segments with all the weird stuff going on, it's possible that that they were just actors because it's hard for normal people to stay uh, presentable like that all the time. Like there were even like pithy one-liners sometimes from the people who were mm-hmm. in the shows. Now, like nobody's that clever when they have a camera pointed at them all of a sudden <laughs> um yeah maybe yeah. like it's it's hard to know yeah. from the outside looking in uh because like maybe they did just get lucky and they got the one guy who said something really funny under stress under pressure mm-hmm. but a lot of these tricks require either that you have an actor or that you have a lot of knowledge about who you're doing the trick for before you do it. Yeah. And that's why these are effects. A lot of like the mentalism effects are stuff that you just don't see in everyday close up or street magic. And that you wouldn't see if you went to like a live show, like you wouldn't see Penn and Teller doing the trick where they ask you to think of somebody's name and then write it in the latte art in your coffee cup. Yeah. That one was kind of cute. I liked that trick, by the way. It was cool. Yeah. Great trick. And and all I'm doing is is to say, like, just because that it required some forethought and it required maybe even some actors in some cases doesn't mean that the effects aren't still really cool and that mm-hmm. they aren't still incredible. Speaking of requiring actors, um, mm-hmm. how did you feel about the trick where they convinced two people that they were invisible? <laughs> because explicitly, <laughs> he even says uh-huh. in the, the lead up to that trick, he, he put out a, an ad on Craigslist to get people to be the crowd for this trick. Yeah. So it was like one yeah. of those rare moments where he was like, here's how I do the trick. 
except mm-hmm. for except for the people that he made disappear. He didn't explain those like like mm-hmm. that was just like a weird like oh we're just gonna gloss over that for this we have a bunch of actors <laughs> right yeah how did you feel uh yeah that one could go either way yeah so i i think that one my personal guess is that the people that they chose to make disappear uh, were probably pre-selected by the producers. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably filtered out using survey questions or that kind of thing to select for people that believe in spiritual woo and crystal energy and by the fact that they would be invisible. Um, mm-hmm. and, and here's why, like one of the reasons why I say just because pre-selections involved doesn't make it any less mm-hmm. impressive or less magical is that producers can be doing misdirection of their own with mm-hmm. pre-selection in that they could they could bury those interview questions or bury those those uh, selection questions in a 50 question survey so that the person that is coming on the show has no idea why they were selected Mm-hmm. Or that even that the interview questions had any bearing on their selection, they could be presented in a way that's like, oh, yeah, we're doing this study for the studio. Can you please fill all this stuff out as well? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they could be led to believe that maybe the thing that they are doing isn't actually the part of the show that they're going to be on. Like mm-hmm. they could be told, hey, come to this park at this time <laughs> and, and be there 35 minutes early because we're going to start shooting at 11 and we're going to need you there and there's going to be all this blah, blah, blah. Um, so they can be led to believe something completely different than what their actual involvement's going to be. Mm-hmm. So that whenever the magic does happen, like all of the, the circumstance of like, oh yeah, well, how did they get that guy to come there at that time? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a magic trick on the side of the producers. And then Justin takes over and does his actual trick with them, mm-hmm. and the effect is authentic, and it's incredible for the rest of us, and we're all freaking out. Mm-hmm. The problem with the invisibility trick, though, mm-hmm. if you think about it for a couple minutes, is these people are being filmed. Yeah. How do the cameras know where to look if the person's invisible? Oh, yeah. That's that's absolutely true. <laughs> like it, the the invisible person should look at like the fifty cameras that are assist, that are like set up all around them and just see them following them and they go, oh, I'm not actually invisible. Right. Totally true. Even if every actor, Craigslist actor in the scene, is somehow by a miracle does not even flinch when this person is nearby. Doesn't even accidentally make eye contact with them. Yeah. You'd still see the cameras looking at you. Yeah. Um, I feel as though maybe they could get away with if they were relatively static and they were all set mm-hmm. up or something. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I definitely yeah. think that the two participants that they made turn invisible were very different 
Um, mm-hmm. The white dude was freaking out. And maybe this is another sign yep. that maybe he was in on it. And so he was playing up freaking out. And then the black dude was like, I think at a minimum, even if we're charitable and we think that they were being tricked, I think he figured it out because yeah. he was he was stealing stuff or pretending to steal stuff. And I'm like, I don't right. I think that he he would know that people see him if he was stealing stuff. Like I think that he was stealing like a wine bottle out of somebody's bag or something. Yeah. And then somebody was like, Oh, the bottle's moving. Yeah. Like okay. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I think some of the more spectacular effects are probably fake. Mm-hmm. But it's still entertaining. Yeah. Super entertaining throughout. I suppose it's good that we say that now. Very entertaining uh, sets of tricks right there. What what other tricks stuck out to you? Um, so another notable one that is not fake uh, is the one where he gets his wife to appear out of a bag. Yeah, that one was pretty nifty. So it was a really cool little segment where he's he's like telling people or asking people, you know, what's something that you couldn't live without. And then he pulls it out of a backpack and he does this with like a blender that's full of a smoothie or a coffee pot that has hot coffee in the pot. And yeah. It's not a big backpack either. So it couldn't conceivably fit these things. Um, and he gets this one dude to say, I couldn't live without my wife. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, me neither. But I can't fit her in this little tiny backpack. And they're like, ah, ha, ha. It's like, but that's why I carry my bigger backpack with me. And he pulls a bag out of that bag. <laughs> yeah, that was those. And walks over to a nearby bench and plops the big bag down and folds it up and then unzips it and out comes his wife. <laughs> um, which is like, oh my gosh, how did he do that? Um, there the trick is in getting the, the subject to say, I couldn't live without my wife. Yeah. Um, and and that's the trick in all of these backpack scenes is like knowing what the person's going to say because the effect of producing that thing, like he can't just produce anything, yeah. obviously. It's it's staged or it's this is where the mentalism comes into play of getting someone to say something that you want them to say. So I yeah. want this guy to say my wife. Um, so we that's all off screen and... We'll give him benefit of the doubt that he properly mentalismed his way into that guy saying, my wife. Um, yeah. The effect from there is very simple, and it's actually really cool. And it's a it's a perspective illusion where you use a... And skip 30 seconds or a minute here if you don't want to know how it's done. Yeah. Uh, but under the bench, you set up a little mirror that reflects kind of at an oblique angle the road and the grass and the curb next to the bench like on the other half of the bench mm-hmm. and his wife is crouching down behind that mirror and so whenever he folds up the big bag it's actually a trick bag mm-hmm. and it's got a little slot in the back that she can crawl up in through and then whenever he drops it she's suddenly appeared out of nowhere mm-hmm. kind of acts as a little bit like a curtain in a way Exactly. Um, and this is one of those like classical stage illusions that requires some setup 
to be brought into street magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it is traditionally a stage illusion, seeing it in a place that you think is impromptu makes the effect really cool. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely took me aback. I was like, uh-huh, ha, ha, <laughs> People don't fit in bags. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, I like that one. I thought it was nifty. Yeah. So, how did he do the coffee pot? What do you mean? In the bag trick. The hot coffee. Yeah. Like, he would have had to have brewed the coffee moments before they cut that clip together. Uh, Convince the person to say coffee. Whoops. Yeah. And then, again, use the trick bag to pull a coffee pot from somewhere that the person couldn't obviously see where they were sitting on the bench. Ah, uh, okay. Still, yeah. it's a feat in and of itself to keep the coffee the coffee warm in the middle of a park. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. That was pretty good. For sure. There's lots of tricks that he's that he does that require like stuff beyond the actual dexterity of the trick. Mm-hmm. That's what makes magic so interesting for me is like and this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show is I love magic that once you know how it's done, it's almost a better trick. Yeah, those are some of my highlights. Did you have any other tricks that you really liked? Other standouts for me um, was... I can't remember what episode this was in, but it wasn't necessarily a like super technically impressive trick, but um, I just liked the situation that they created. The magic in the dark... <laughs> was kind of funny. Um, yeah. They still, like, because the, the like, what was that, infrared or something? Uh-huh. They still bathed the room in infrared. We could, quote, see what was happening or whatever. So we could see that, like, mm-hmm. there was very simple magic going on, like, make the ring disappear from the hand and, and appear inside in a walnut or... Mm-hmm. Um, make the the fork head turn into a spoon um Mm -hmm. they're very simple but just the situation that they were put into where like people didn't know what was going on so there was like a lot of humor to be derived from like just feel the magic trick you don't have to see it (laughs) Mm was kind of i thought that was pretty cute and then uh the other standout for me was school uniform i thought that was good oh yeah that was a good one I don't know too much how um, those kinds of I'll just guess what's going to happen type tricks work, but uh, his was was uh, the ante was upped with that one and that he was wearing clothes that represented what the mm-hmm. people were supposed to think, and maybe maybe it was supposed to be like a whole convincing them. Uh, subliminally to pick those colors or whatever um and then he's just already wearing the right colors or if it's like a complicated like i pull certain tabs to make the right colors appear when i rip off the suit or Mm. whatever it ended up being but 
I thought I thought the outcome in the presentation was still cool with that one. Yeah, that's one where editing kind of uh, can in- introduce some suspicion. Yeah, with the trick because you don't know where he's standing while they're coloring. So the the whole effect is he asks these kids to use any color markers they want out of the set to color in a picture of this kid and the new school uniform colors. So they color in his tie, his shirt, his pants, his socks, his belt. And then Justin compares that to a sealed envelope prediction of what he thought they were going to color. Mm -hmm. And everything in the envelope is correct. But what's more than that, the actual clothes he's wearing underneath his jacket and his false pants are the colors that the students selected. Um, but the problem is, like, you, you know, you didn't get to see all seven minutes of them coloring this thing in, so yeah. where's he standing while they're coloring it? Staring at them intently with his fingers yeah. like this. That's yeah. what he was doing. That one, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably was there the whole time and there wasn't anything fancy that happened we didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. You could conceive of ways to do that that don't involve being yeah. off screen. Yeah, it's true. Um, now that we're in the spoiler discussion section, did we can talk a little bit more about the the quote type of trick that I kept seeing and that I felt got a little bit old for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I put on here, guess your thing trick. Is yep. is that just more common in all magic than I think it is? And then just like seeing it binge watching the show just made it more apparent to me? Or was he using that trick more than most magicians? Not trick, but like, because it's different mechanics behind it, I'm sure, each time. But like, same general flow. Was he using that more? Yeah, it depends on the type of magic you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the effect of... I've got this set up with a prediction that, you know, I couldn't possibly know the thing that you're about to tell me, and it's sealed away in this envelope style of trick is a pretty common style of magic. Mm-hmm. So... It probably isn't the same proportion of common magic as he represented on his show. Like, he did it more on his show than I think exists generally. Mm. I think most magic is uh, sleight of hand, Mm -hmm. far and away. Um, And then you've got some of those, like, guess the sealed prediction type tricks. Probably, like, second or third most common because uh, some of them are actually quite easy to, to figure out and to learn. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's more just like, that's just how magic is done. And maybe he could have had some way of changing his presentation to make it less transparent. Or like, make it seem more different. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been... The, the the presentation it could have been that he could have just did less of it 
and and done more original magic mm-hmm. um that's a pretty easy one it's a pretty safe bet to get a reaction out of people and it's yeah. a trick that you can do it's a style of trick that you can do that doesn't require um you to manipulate your audience in any real way so you can get more genuine reactions out of people mm-hmm. i think that's one of the reasons why it's such a popular style of trick gotcha 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 hmm. yeah i i feel as though i got to talk about a lot of the ones that stood out to me um it's only six 20 25 minute episodes so there's limited pool to pull from really well that said and done what's your daniel amalgamation oh my god (laughs) armon seismograph your ewald distribution it should be the daniel determination the armon amalgamation the ewald yep Uh... (laughs) (laughs) don't have one for ewald (laughs) Off the top of my head, I thought yeah. I was going to be able to do it, but I couldn't. Um, I think I said five out of seven. It's a very respectable score. Yeah, that's strong. Yeah. How you feel? I would agree. Five out of seven. I'd give it a five out of seven. Yep. Man, we are just on the same wavelength these last couple episodes. Don't get used to it. <laughs> Actually, I can't remember if we had the same scores for the last episode, but for the, uh, I just listened to the, um, the, uh, yeah, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot episode. So I think we had the same score on there at least. Yeah, it's. All we agreed on last episode was that A Bug's Life was way better. Uh, we didn't agree on how how uh, the degree to which Ants was trash, I guess. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as um, Magic for Humans goes, good first step, it sounds like. Might see more. Who knows? Yeah, I'd watch more of it if they put more of it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, what do we have brewing for next time? We can find out. Let me switch over to the document and go get my die. So, this was a TV show. So, we're not going to have another TV show next. So, we're going to be yep. choosing between either one or a two for a movie. Okay. Three or a four for a book. Okay. Or five or a six for a video game. All right. Let me make sure I got the next ones. Okay. Yeah, I got the things. I'm going to roll. Let's make hear it. it. I'm going to make it sound great. Nope, missed the table. 
<laughs> it's a two, which means it's a movie. Oh. I pick a lot of movies. Yeah, I pick a lot of games. Exact opposites. <laughs> okay, so we have to do... Black Panther. Um, you think it's Black Panther? Yeah. It's a good movie. It's a good movie to talk about, but it's not Black Panther. Ah. Uh, I was so close. <laughs> I am going to have us watch Man on Wire. Oh, no. <laughs> have really? you seen Man on Wire? No. Good. <laughs> oh, no. All right. That's that's all that there is to say about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. Don't worry. It's going to be a little bit hard for me, too. Are you vetoing it? No. No. It can't possibly be more stressful than gravity, right? I don't think it's more stressful than gravity. But I think that there's a new dimension of stress. Um, and that, that it's real. We'll see. And that this is real. And that it's a very special person that it focuses on. Yeah. Oh. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, Man on Wire is a movie about the death-defying um, wire... Oh my god, what is that thing called? Where you're... Where you're tightrope. Tightrope tight walking uh, uh, display that a man did between the two World Trade Center towers in New York City in the 70s. Um, so this is... Uh, a documentary with with some reenactments in it um, about that event. So give it a watch, and we'll come back next time for uh, a nice discussion about it. Cool. Sweet. Well, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please make sure to comment on the Reddit thread, give us an upvote, let us know you're there. Give us some feedback. Uh, feel free to review the show on whatever podcast player you listen on. Um, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>